welcome to the Reconciliation Conversation Podcast. Uh, we want this to be a space where we can expose hate, encourage love, equip for healthy reconciliation, and emphasize unity so that all people, no matter where they are, can know their value together as one. My name is Derek Lane. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, my co-host, Jason Dukes. What's up, man? What's up, man? I was going to say the same about you. Listen, <laughs> I was going to say listen. the same about you. Listen, well, that's uh, that's what happens when I get to kick off. I get to take all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm I'm excited. Uh, this is this is the first episode uh, of many more to come. Man, how how you feel about that, Jason? I'm pumped, man. I I know and believe, and I know you agree with me that this is going to be a long haul. And yeah, if if we really hope for some of the outcomes that we'd love to see, and we will be a small sentence in the grander story of not just us, but others that Love are, that. that are prompting these kinds of conversations. And, um, but man, I'm thankful. And I, I yeah. think we're both, all of us, I think are committed to what it's going to take to see, um, on earth as it is in heaven, as we hope for. No doubt. I love that. I love that. Well, listen, man, I want to jump right in and I want to introduce our very first guest ever. <laughs> Uh, this guest brother one. is a pastor. Guest one. Uh, no right. pressure. No pressure for for yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> but this brother, he's a he's a pastor in the heart of Washington D.C. at the historic Vermont Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, this church has been in existence for over 150 years, uh, and mm-hmm. he's their seventh senior pastor. And the last time I checked, man, uh, that's God's number. So you know that if this brother steps, he steps correct, right? Uh, he's, right, a graduate. Right. <laughs> he's a graduate from, from Morehouse. He's got his MDiv at Vanderbilt Divinity School. He has his doctorate from Baylor University's Theological Seminary. He is smarter than you and I will ever be, Jason. So ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, the Reverend Dr. John Cox. Pastor Cox, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing fantastic on this incredible Tuesday. Um, just glad to be a part of something that I think is important. I think it's yeah. meaningful. I think it's needed. Uh, and I look forward to hopefully helping you guys set a tone to do uh, something something significant, uh, particularly as we sit and the funeral for George Floyd is still mm. including uh, the, the gravity mm. and the urgency of the moment does not escape me. So I'm excited to be here today. Man, well, well, listen, I appreciate you saying that. Listen, we, we don't believe in coincidences, right? Literally, you mentioned it with George Floyd and a lot of every, a lot of other things that are, that are going on. Um, and to have someone like you who, who's sitting in the nation's capital joining us on our first episode, to me personally, is just amazing. Um, so, uh, I, I want to jump on that in light of everything that's going on in our country, uh, uh, right now with, with protests, with, with people marching for, for equality and, and justice and, and justice reform. You are in the heart of DC, our, our nation's capital. What, what's that like? What's the, what's the sense of the people there in, in your city as, as you see it personally? Yeah. So the, the feeling of being in DC is mm. tremendous at this time. It, it, it feels like I'm sitting in the nation's eardrum. I, mm place where the cacophony of voices from around the nation and even around the world are aiming their cries at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, yeah, wow. Capital. And the interesting thing, that's not very far from where I live. Uh, so uh, 
to, to be sitting in that place, but then to also feel as though the eardrum is tone deaf creates these mm. interesting dynamics because mm. you can feel the vibrations of the voices in the mm. streets and in the air, but they don't seem to be resonating in the places that could really consider what they're saying, uh, do something mm -hmm. significant about it. So to be in DC now is very weighty, very heavy. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a great time to be alive. I'll say that. Man, that's, to be honest, that's great perspective. I think, you know, obviously currently right now I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina and, and Jason's in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And so, uh, obviously we can tune in on, on social media and the news and kind of see things, right? And because we're both in major cities as well, yeah. uh, we, we get a sense of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but again, you are, you are in the heartbeat of it all. You're, you're in the, the nation's capital. So man, uh, just that, just that picture there, um, that, that paints, that paints it for us a, a, a little bit as far as, as well as our, our listeners. Uh, well, listen. Yeah, I mentioned this already, but you're the you pastor uh, the historic Vermont Street Baptist yeah. Baptist Church, um, and that church building it's located almost exactly in between uh, the White House uh, and Howard University, which is a historically black college and university, right? Yeah. So you're you're pastoring the people there, probably involved in all things DC, yeah. all things go go, right? Like yeah. so, in, including DC politics as well as the the rich heritage of that HBCU. So, so speak to that a little bit. What, what's that like? How do you, how do you navigate that? Um, as I'm sure your people are right in the midst of all this. Yeah. So, so if, if that was a continuum that you have the white house on one end of the spectrum and you have Howard university on the other end, our church definitely sits metaphorically and physically between the two. Um, mm -hmm. And with things like gentrification, sometimes it feels like the community around us is more on the White House end of the spectrum. Um, mm. but, but it there is very much this deep richness and awareness of uh, the Black community and the richness of that. So being a, a son of Morehouse College, uh, I know the HBCU experience. And one of the mm -hmm. values of that experience uh, is that Morehouse is a place where People know who you are in a mm -hmm. deep and earnest sense. Morehouse not only uh, was a school predominantly for African-Americans, but it was predominantly African-American males. So it's an all-male school, 99.9% mm -hmm. African-American. So they know the Black man. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they teach there is that uh, our struggle and our success are intertwined. So mm. part of my victory is tied up in your victory. So brother, I need you to succeed. I need you to do well. Yeah. How, how it creates that same kind of energy that they support black men and black women who are trying to do more, trying to be more. And so we believe in connecting with and supporting uh, Howard University and continuing to try to build those inroads. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're looking forward to that, but to sit where we sit, with the White House on the other end of the spectrum and the politics of Washington, D.C., um, it calls to mind W.E.B. Du Bois's double consciousness that you have to have. Yes, yes. We have always needed, as he introduces in The Souls of Black Folks, uh, this ability to understand intimately the dominant culture, to be able mm -hmm. to navigate the spaces that are dominated and controlled by people who do not look like us. 
so that we have to speak the language and we have to know how to walk the walk. But when we get amongst people who are like us and we can pull off our airs, we can mm-hmm. use the uh, cultural language that is more familiar and more comfortable. And that yeah. ability to live twice at once creates mm-hmm. this interesting dynamic for our church in that one of the crazy things is we're trying to figure out what it means to be a historic African-American church in a neighborhood that is quickly turning white. Yeah. And uh, it bears itself out in weird, strange ways. Sometimes I come mm-hmm. to church and there are people who don't look like me who are doing yoga in our grass. And it's like, <laughs> you know, welcome. We're glad you feel comfortable enough to do yoga in our grass. Or uh, yeah. they'll turn one of our parking lots into a dog park. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the challenge is how do we get the community to take us and our issues seriously and Mm -hmm. from our perspective how do we as a church see ourselves not as an island surrounded by a sea of difference but as Mm -hmm. an integral part of the community and Mm -hmm. particularly with the historical issues and pain that are a part of that you know Mm -hmm. some people are more ready to do it than others and so walking that fine line figuring out those nuances of how can we be authentically who we need to be and minister mm-hmm. to people who are from a different background and who may not understand uh, who we are or how we represent ourselves when we're yeah. being authentically who we are in this space? Man, I, so, I love that. I love that. And you, so you said something that made me think of uh, a, a, a quote that I heard from somebody said a, a while ago uh, that gentrification essentially is uh, replacing Black Lives with Black Lives Matter signs. Yeah. Uh, And and what I mean by that is a a lot of the people who are stepping in into the neighborhood pervert, like, you know, uh, and this might be a stereotype, and I apologize if it is, but uh, some people are stepping into that neighborhood, and, man, they're going to say that they understand the plight Mm -hmm. or they want to understand the plight uh, of, you know, the the minority, the African-American male and, and female. Do you feel like you have, has that happened over the last couple of weeks in the midst of everything that's been going on? I I think there's this sense when I talk to and encounter people either near or around the church, particularly persons who don't look like me, there's mm-hmm. this sense that they want me to leave that interaction, however long or short it may be, feeling like they're on my side. Mm-hmm. Whether they really are, whether they really get it, there's this posture we take where it's, you know, they're shouting out, you know, George Floyd, you know, no justice, no peace, stuff like that. Um, but, mm-hmm. but to get a sense that it's more than just words um, and that it has to be a lifestyle, I think is, is important. I'll tell you, there, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in Louisville, Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor's uh, mm-hmm. life was taken. And... Mm-hmm. He talked about how there was uh, a church that was a white church in an area that was historically black, and they were encouraging their members to be a part of the community, connect Mm -hmm. to, we want you to live near and be ingrained in the community. And what they had no consciousness of is that Mm -hmm. they were actually pushing people out of the community. And Mm -hmm. they were buying these homes and buying these homes and just pushing people out left and right. And we talked about mm-hmm. how it, it would have been a better thing to say, 
hey, we see the property values going up and we imagine that there may be people here who cannot afford it. As a church, we want to keep the community the way it is. We want to mm -hmm. support them in that. So, hey, when it goes up, we're going to chip in and help make sure you can stay in the home that you're in. Because wow. being in the community is important to us because on every level, whether you're talking mm -hmm. about education, economics, diversity is the best thing that we can do. The diversity yeah. of voices, diversity of That's opinion good. puts everybody good. in a better situation. And so even in the classroom, the yep. more diverse the classroom, the more diverse the voices, the better education yep. everybody is getting. And so we've got to believe that and we've got to try to embody it instead of creating these sort of social enclaves where I only live, work, and socialize with people who think, act, bank, and golf where I do. <laughs> Man, that's that's good, Pastor. Golly. Think, you 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 unloading on some stuff. <laughs> Jason, you go ahead and jump in because I I we gonna turn this conversation longer than what it needs to. <laughs> if I if I because you just hit on a lot, a lot of things, Pastor Cox, and I'll, I'll say this real quick. And for real, Jason, I want you, I want you to. to no, 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 in. no, you, you're good, you're good. Man, I, I think what you're, what you're getting at a lot of times. So, um, I'm, I'm a church planter, right? Yeah. So, I'm, I'm going to Nashville to, to start a church called Proclamation Church. Excited about that. And what you hit on are the things that I, I had to think about, right? So, yeah. our church is, we're coming in around sixty forty, uh, majority minority. And if we're looking to go into a, a heavy minority area, those are things that we have to think about. If we say we yep. want to be a part of the context of the community, how are we doing that in a way that's not disenfranchising those who have already been there? Um, yeah. And man, that uh, that opens up a whole nother conversation that we might need to get you on uh, on another time in yeah, the, in the future, so we can we can un unplug on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do it. Well, and I I love that you said that because I do think. I do think, yeah, it's you can't unpack gentrification and even regentrification and its and its effects in a twenty or a thirty minute podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, but, no. <laughs> however, I would be worth, and I'm I'm interested in that. We'll have to talk about that and see if we can get it on the schedule. I would love to have kind of like a side conversation that we could get on at some point where we do address that because I think I mean I, I've I've got white pastor friends who recognize the effects of gentrification they can even talk about them they can they can they can um they can craft them or contextualize them inside of some of their theological paradigm but 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 they struggle and i think a lot of people do a lot of people struggle whether white or black to then articulate what it would look if it were different. What would it look like if it look like if it were different? And mm. and and even the hint of what you just said, although it was a, a very probably a glimpse of a much greater understanding of it that you have, uh, you know, even the hint of that of what you just shared it demonstrates that there are some different approaches and there are some different things that we could do. And mm. that is a conversation worth having. I mean, I, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Although I'm more than okay if we do, but but uh, because of the current events and situations, I want us to come back to that conversation and let's try to get that um, down as well and share it with folks because I do think that would be meaningful. But I do want to touch mm -hmm. on an aspect of it okay. before I jump to the question that we uh, that we the, of the list that we sent to you. Correct. You know, when you think about what you just shared, 
um, about the people coming in and the gentrification that is happening around you, you know, I mean, what, what are some of the ways that you guys are getting ahead of it instead of just reacting to it? What, what's, mm. is that fair to ask? And, and if it's, if I, if I need to table it and edit this part out, let me know and I will, yeah. but, but I'd love to hear what you're even thinking about on that. So, so I'm in year two, and uh, one, one of the things that I've tried to do is look at community partners. Uh, hmm. I, there's an elementary school in walking distance of our church that uh, in the second, third, fourth, fifth grade are predominantly minority, uh, majority grade levels, but the pre-K and the first grade are increasingly uh, majority kids. And so the principal there um, is uh, a nice, really cool guy. And I understand the importance of particularly the young families that are connected to that particular school. Uh, mm -hmm. I understand that the way that some of the majority parents come in and create their own almost PTO, uh, I understand the importance of putting brown faces into place to make brown parents feel welcome and their yeah. voices feel heard. And so we've tried to connect with that school um, and support them in a variety of ways. We try to do teacher appreciation for them quarterly. Uh, we try to actually financially support um, this group that comes in that specifically works to increase diversity awareness amongst the, the parents and the families and mm -hmm. creating social opportunities for them to get to know each other. We also try to work mm -hmm. to mentor the students. Uh, and then we try to come to as many programs as they have. So we try to bring a presence uh, there. And then we have people who are actually supposed to just be a part of the PTO, just brown faces from the community, from our church, yep. who are there and welcoming to encourage other families to connect to and be a part of. So that's one of the things. The other things specific to our community, there was some debate about whether they were going to bring in a middle school or relocate a high school into our community. And mm -hmm. most of the parents whose kids were uh, benefiting from that pre-K program wanted to say, hey, it would be great if my kid could go from this elementary school to this middle school. But they decided to bring the high school in and it created some angst in the community. So one of the things that we're talking about trying to do is we want to lead the community in welcoming this high school. Now, you may not have voted for it. You may have been against it. You may think we shouldn't do this, but we want all of our community partners from the coffee shop to the elementary school to the neighborhood associations to be a part of welcoming them into the fabric of our community. And we love you just like we love everyone else. So those, those are things that we're trying to do, but it takes time to help everybody understand how these things are important. So uh, one of the struggles is getting our members to see the value in um, going back into and connecting into yeah. the community when they feel like, hey, we keep moving in their direction. We don't see them moving in ours. And yeah. one of the challenges I have with the principal is we're supporting financially. We're trying to be here. We're trying to do everything. I can't get you to come to one of our services or one of something yeah. that we're doing to show that yeah. it's important to you to connect with us as it is with us connecting to you. And I think that is the place where we have to figure out how to get the playing field a little bit more level. 
Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's really good. And it's interesting too, because I think that helps even, and I want to highlight this just for my, any, any of any white brothers and sisters that are hearing this to make sure they heard something you just said. And that is you are proactively going after it. You're trying to build the relationships. And it's interesting that the struggle you feel is almost in some ways similar to some struggles that they might feel in, in, in the ways of, but but it, it, that they're kind of adverse in the sense of here you are as a historically in, a, in an historically black community and a, and one of the more is it fair to say historically black churches in in and maybe even in the nation right but 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 and and you're saying man we feel like we're doing our part and we don't feel like they're responding we don't feel like they're doing their part and I think on I think you've got you know, sometimes for my white brothers and sisters out there, I think we sometimes feel like, well, we don't know what to do. And so then we don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, right? It's the adverse piece, yeah. you know, and, but you're being proactive about it. And then the relationships hopefully are going to be formed that give you guys the chance to better, that give those families the chance to understand why that dynamic would be helpful if you were together. in it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's significant there is, because African-Americans are in the minority, mm. we tend to always have to make the adjustment. So we oh, have yeah. to move in your direction. We have to accommodate you. We have to do that. And at some point, it would feel great to know that it is as important to you to move in my direction yeah. instead yeah. of, you know, just to get my vote or just, but, but because you see the value in building a diverse community and you see the value in who I am as a person. And I think- yeah. that, helps me. And, and one of the things I say to the principal is, hey, when you do that, it helps me communicate to my members. See, he's yeah. valuing this. That's, yeah, that's, right. that's why we do. Um, and just it's just it's a harder thing when I, when I have to speak about him or about them, the, the, the teachers and the whole group uh, in abstention because they're not there. That's yeah. Yourself. Well, and I'll, I'll say this to just to affirm what you're saying there. I, gr- I grew up in inner city New Orleans and mm-hmm. And I will tell you that I I saw a lot of the the posturing and a lot of the what sometimes is called superiority element of a white a white group trying to help quote unquote in a black community and 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 I what I always saw this was the litmus test for me it was do those individuals share meals together do they drink do they do things that are more in the intimate spaces together or are they Mm -hmm. just at meetings and events together? Because if they're only at meetings and events together, it probably really isn't relationship. It's it's more of a cause. Right. And so, you know, I think that's why I I don't know about you, but that's what I'm praying for is somehow Mm -hmm. we can shift to that. Right. We can get into that space. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe you feel free to rebuke me if what I just said did not. I, I think it's 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 a great. I think the the, the picture is um, far too often of the minorities. If you look at a picture of uh, someone who's fallen in a hole, the minorities are in the hole and they're receiving help from above, right? Mm. Hand that comes down to reach and pull up, um, and that comes with this kind of condescending. spirit and those kinds of things and what would be much more appreciated is for someone to just jump in the hole with me hey that's right man and let's let's work out together yeah man i love that i love that 
It's so good. And I hope, I hope, I hope that's being heard what you're saying, because that that's, that's a better way to say what I was trying to say when I say have those meals together, because sure. you're not having the meals together to have a project. You're sitting in it together. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're sitting yeah. together. Right. And that, that's when we really start to understand each other, but you're exactly right. And, 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 and I want to highlight for those, those white listeners that are out there who are still asking the question and they will be for some time, if we're honest, They'll be asking the question, okay, I'm not seeing all the ways that it's systemically wrong or systemically an issue. Yeah, well, you just highlighted one of the key ones, right? That the black community is always expected to be the one who doesn't just meet in the middle, but who meets all the way on the other side. Right. Right. And we need to make sure we hear that. We need to hear that. So kind of in that vein, I'll, I'll jump to the next question. So our mutual friend here in Nashville, uh, uh, let Frank Lewis let let me know that you were a part of um, a, a peaceful protest. I think either last Thursday or Wednesday. I was trying to remember what day it was, yeah. and you may have been a part since then too. That was just the one that I heard about. Yeah. Um, I think that's great, personally. Mm-hmm. You know as well as I do there are there are going to be some people out there that have lighter skin like mine. Mm-hmm. Right. That that are going to that still are trying to figure out why that matters. Yeah. Right. Like what? Why protest? Sure. And why you as a pastor and leader in the community be a part of it? Why can you can you help with that? Can you help? I think I think maybe Derek and I, although I will say I think you guys better understand it than I do. But I think we kind of get it. But help help our listeners understand why does that matter? That's a great question. Uh, wow. Let me try to let me try to do my best with that. So l- let me start talking to parents. Um, parents know there's a way that you call your kids when you need something to happen. Mm-hmm. And when they don't respond, there's a way in which you can escalate what uh-huh. you're doing. Um, and when you escalate, it signals where you are mm-hmm. and the urgency with which they need to do. And, and you do that for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, to make sure they hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But two, big picture wise, to get accomplished what you're trying to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let, me, let me get to it from, from another perspective. Theologically, uh, Luke 18, mm-hmm. Lion Bartimaeus is sitting on the mm-hmm. side of the road. Jesus is passing by and he's in this crowd of people uh, and he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's making a lot of noise and the people in the crowd want him to be quiet. He's Mm -hmm. making noise because one, he needs Jesus to hear him. And two, he's trying to get something accomplished. Uh, That's the only reason you make the noise. If blind Bartimaeus wasn't needing something from Jesus that required his attention, he could be quiet, but mm. he needed Jesus's attention because he was trying to get something accomplished. So yeah. though they wanted him to get quiet, he gets louder. Let's go. It's only because he Come gets on louder that Jesus turns mm-hmm. and says, how can I help you? And that yeah. he was able to see because he ignored the crowd and he kept agitating until mm. he got his point across and he got what he needed. So when I, when I think about the protests, uh, being out there, you're out there because 
there's something you're saying that's not being heard. Mm -hmm. And it's crystal clear. Um, most of the protest is protesters chanting and yelling things that make a lot of sense. Yes. To police officers who are trained to completely ignore them, <laughs> who are standing in front of a White House that is also ignoring them. And yeah. that is what causes parents to go up to the next level and causes protesters to agitate even more because mm -hmm. you're not hearing me. And the evidence when you do hear me is that things change. Man, that's good. Things change. It's really good. I don't have to lift my voice. When things change, I don't have to agitate. When you, yeah. my dad called me the first time and I showed up, he didn't have to go to the next level. Because uh -huh. I demonstrated through my action that I heard sure. and I responded. And sure. that is what minorities have been trying to get America to do for over 400 years. Mm. To hear and to respond. And there is sure. still today no evidence besides posturing that they are really being heard and mm. that things are really being accomplished. And I think mm. that's why protest. So now for me, why it was important for me to be there is because I grew up in a tradition uh, from my home where my aunts participated in the civil rights movement that came through Birmingham. I went to Morehouse where you're just trained to connect to and respond to the issues of the day. And I understand in a very real sense that I am George Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, I am Eric Garner. I am all of these persons. And I have to be able to get that the pain of the people in the street is the pain of the people in the community, which mm -hmm. if it were not for COVID-19 would be the pain of the people in the pews. And yeah, I right. have to hear. So, so primarily, I went down there to listen, yeah. to hear, to try to be a pair of ears for voices that are just not landing on any open ears at all. And wow. that's why I went, that's why I was there, that's why I continue to support. So I went Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, and it's the only thing that has gotten me out of my house that's not been the church and the grocery store. Uh, <laughs> and I think that it's just been that important that if I'm going to risk my life and my health, I'm going to do it fighting for something that I think is significant and important and has been too long ignored and swept under the rug in this country. Damn, that's so, so good. That's so good. Yeah. So good. What? Did, real quick, before we move on, I, I, even just for a couple, maybe 15, 30 seconds, describe for folks who, who may not even be able to wrap their mind around or even picture mm -hmm. what it looked like when you walked down there and what you saw and, and I, I asked that for two reasons. One, because I want us to get a picture of it, not just the images we're seeing on the news. Sure. Mm -hmm. But 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 secondly, you're in also one of the most historic and significant places in the country. Right. So I want I want I just would love to for us to get that picture. You know what I mean? Like I describe that real quick about kind of what that what you saw, what that was like the surroundings, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So so, so my wife and I went down sort of to scout things out before we brought our daughters. And we parked and we're walking down 16th Street with St. John's Church on our left, which is a place mm -hmm. where um, I've gone to pray myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going toward 
Lafayette <laughs> um, Park that leads through the White House. Now, did, did, I'm sorry, I, I have to say, did you bring uh, your Bible? Oh, you uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have my I Bible. Have to ask. I'm, sorry. No. I have to, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> But, I can but, edit that out, Derek, if you want me to, but I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had to ask. I had to ask. <laughs> Let me tell you. Go so, ahead. Go ahead. So we're, we're walking up, <laughs> and this is the street. We usually run down 16th Street. That's a part of our uh, exercise regimen. So we get down to uh, the area where the protesters are gathering, and there is there is a police presence um, on the edge of Lafayette Park. And the protesters are gathering. You see all kinds of people various ages, various backgrounds. You see young people, old people, black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people. There are lots of signs that mm-hmm. uh, are talking about George Floyd, talking about injustice, talking about police brutality. And they are just standing there screaming George Floyd's name. Uh, they're mm-hmm. saying no justice, no peace. And and a part of the, the, the cool thing is you got to learn like the chance. Like that's a part of being out there. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. Uh, this is democracy and all of these chants. So we're picking them, my wife and I are picking them up. And then they say, let's take a knee for, you know, to remember. So we kneel in the hmm. asphalt. Now, I know the last time you put your knees in the asphalt. It's not comfortable. That was, that was a hard work. <laughs> um, and so then they get up and say, okay, we're going to walk. So the first day we went down, we walked essentially around the block, um, hmm. came back, and that was how things went. But that night would be the night when the people were essentially forced out and, yeah. and uh, Trump went to take that picture. And so when that happened, the next day we came out and it was pandemonium. There was mm-hmm. so many people that you couldn't even get close to the church or the park. Mm-hmm. They had put up yeah. new fencing so that you had to stand further away. But like there's so many more people there. But it's the same thing. A variety of different kinds of people saying no justice, no peace. They're saying, say his name, George Floyd. They're saying, say her name, Breonna Taylor, over and over and over. And then we march. This time, we march all the way back uptown towards our church, toward the Shaw and U Street area. And we're marching. And every three or four blocks, we stop in the intersection to gather our energy, someone gets the megaphone and addresses injustice and talks to the crowd and keeps mm. encouraging us. And we get up and we march again. And at one of these intersections, this is my favorite part as a pastor, one of these intersections we're approaching, it's like seven, 10 blocks of people. And as we approach wow. the intersection, we're hearing people cheering and chanting in front of us. So when we get to the intersection, we look over to the right and in the building on the balcony is this older black lady who's cheering them on and everyone's excited. And my wife is like, that lady looks familiar. This day we have our daughter with us. And I'm looking, I get a little closer. I said, Miss Nadine. And it was one of our members who was out there. That's awesome. Look, I was a protester. I got out there in my day and I said, and I'm out here for you now. Yeah, Um, I love that. She was years old and she was just giving all her energy. And, And that's what it consists of. So we continue to march all the way back down to um, where we started and chanting mm-hmm. and talking about injustice and remembering George Floyd and fighting for what is right again and again and again. And it was really cool. Now, to be clear, the dynamics were interesting. Mm-hmm. Because you could tell that there were some people out there um, genuinely, and then there were some people out there who may have been posturing, who may have been out there yeah. for pro ops. And so there's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of people who 
um, get it and are there to be peaceful. And then there's some yeah. people who, on the first day, one of the things we saw that was interesting, there were two people, both of which didn't look like us. Mm-hmm. And one of them threw a water bottle at a building that we were just passing by. This is in the smaller crowd. And <laughs> the guy behind him, who also didn't look like us, said, hey, man, why did you do that? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> was like, they only hear violence and this is all. And so they, amongst themselves, had a thing. Uh-huh. And the older one was like, no, this is not what we're here to do. And and so yeah. there's even this self-policing of we got to remember why we're here and this yeah, that's good. we're trying to send. The other beautiful thing is there were people along the sides of the streets who had brought pizzas and water, churches yeah. brought stuff to support what was going on. So there was a lot of dynamics, but it was it was really important to be there. Yeah. Man, it's so that, good. Not, that's so good. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. What? Last thing, and I'll turn it back over to you to to kind of wrap us up, man. But like, so, and I may tear up emotional saying this, but man, I'm assuming that every tribe, tongue, and nation was represented. Mm -hmm. And I get it was probably mostly Mm -hmm. brown skinned, Mm -hmm. but is that true? Is that the case? Was every tribe, would you say, even even if it was posturing, but would you say that for those that were active participants, that it wasn't just brown skin? It was not majority brown skin. Hmm. Most of what I saw was a lot of people that looked like me, but I saw a lot more people who did not look like me, which has been highlighted in these tributes to George Floyd and his funerals. People saying that this message now, and I listened to William Lawson, who was a uh, important figure in Houston, Texas, who would fight for civil rights, talked about how in the 60s when they marched, it was majority black people. Yeah. But now what he's seeing is all kinds of people who are connecting to this, who understand the humanity of it all. Yeah. There's just no way to treat a human being. Um, well, man, let me let me yeah. shoot straight at the risk of offending some of our listeners. Mm-hmm. And and I'll I'll, I'll I'm leaning up because I I mean this with my whole heart, man. If the church doesn't sing the song of justice and love to the one good king, then people will. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what that is, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. Every tribe, tongue, and nation practicing the you are worthy song in a way that says, let me cry out against the lack of justice and peace. Let me cry out to the one good king. And they may not be labeled that way, but yep. you know as well as I do, that's the heart cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and the, yeah. the threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. everywhere. Yes. If, this is, if some of our citizenry are being mistreated, we got to rethink what we're doing. And this is what was blowing me away. You're you're seeing people protest violence and brutality by police through peaceful protests. And they're mm-hmm. being met with more violence and more brutality. You have yeah. people being knocked over. I saw an officer pull down a mask of a person on a video I saw on TV so that he could spray pepper spray in their face. And it's like, this is exactly what we've got to resist. This this can't yeah. be okay. And yeah. yet, it's not just, and I think George <laughs> Fennel's incidents highlight that it's not just 
the issue of the offending officer. It's the comfortable space that the people around create that say, hey, uh-huh. maybe this is okay. If you you can you can do this to this group. Yeah. Of people. Yeah. Um, and 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 we've got to be better than that as a society. We just we absolutely have to. Man, you're that's you're that's all facts. That's all facts. Man, I feel like we can have this conversation all day. Um Pastor Cox, like real real talk, man. I'm I'm just sitting here just listening. Uh so there were there were a couple uh protests here uh in uh and RDU, Raleigh Durham, uh this past weekend and uh we were out of town. Uh, but you know, my wife and I were talking like, man, this is something that, you know, we want our kids to to, to see, um yeah. to to be a part of. Um, yeah. you know, that that they get an idea of why people are wanting to do this, right? Like why people are are are, are marching um because of just this this systemic uh injustice um that has just unfortunately plagued our our country uh for for so long um but i'm thankful that we're we're having the conversation uh i'm glad that people are 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 beginning to to wake up to it so um obviously we've got we've got listeners from from all across the board people that people that get it people who are uh just kind of coming uh to uh and those who still would probably say no nah, there's not yeah, yeah, yeah. All, this is this is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. So processing kind of what we've talked to today, what would you say are some specific takeaways and action steps um, that we just need to think about? Um, obviously, this is the reconciliation conversation, right? Like we want to have these conversations that lead to that. So what would you say would be some action steps? Yeah, so I think uh, we would all do well with increased sensitivity to the other. Um, I was reading something recently Say that. Um, Man. where uh, a theologian was asked, um, what should I do about the others? And his response was, there are no others. Mm. We're all one. We're all the same. That's right. uh, mm-hmm. and it's a picture of there was no Jew, no Greek. That It's that mm-hmm. picture of, of scripture. Uh, I, I think that being sensitive, this is what that means. Um, people who don't look like me need to work to understand why there are people in the streets right now. Yeah. They need to research systemic racism. They need to research redlining. They need to research um, school to prison pipeline and all of the institutional things that are created um, Mm -hmm. to continue to disenfranchise people of color in this country and be sensitive to it. Um, I would also suggest that they be sensitive to the spaces that they occupy. For instance, if you're someone who is seated seated at a board or in leadership and you don't see enough minority representation, you say, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to give up my seat because there needs to be more diverse voices here. Whatever that looks like. This is this is a tangible thing you can also do. Uh, I would also suggest you be sensitive to your silence. Now, this is this is really big because yep. it's hard to figure out what to say or what to do. That's right. And so the tendency is I'm going to be quiet until I can figure out the perfect thing to say. But the silence is deafening. Yep. And it means that you're siding with everything is just fine. Uh, And so even if you don't know the right thing to say, your ability to, with your voice among your peers, say they're protesting for a reason. 
-hmm. There has to be something wrong with our country that has people crying out in the streets. That we, We've got yeah. to at least agree on that. And yeah. what is the thing that we can do to make it better? Um, and so I think that I think that those are the things that are absolutely vital and important to do, to, uh, to listen, um, to get educated, um, to change the spaces around you, uh, to be more diverse, to be more inclusive, um, mm -hmm. and then to make sure that your voice is added to the conversation. I think those are the kinds of tangible things that we can do to put us in a better position to sing a harmonious song. That's good. I love that. I love that. It's good. Well, Pastor Cox, uh, man, we we thank you for for your time. Uh, yeah. We appreciate you joining us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know not all people are super super active on on social media, um, but however, I, I know you are. I know you've got uh, your, your Instagram and, and Facebook. Um, I know John J. Cox on Facebook. People can find you there. Uh, on Instagram, John J. Cox Ministries. Um, as far as your, your your church, where you're a part of, um, what are ways that people can connect to you to your church? Yeah, so we're on Facebook uh, and Instagram, Vermont Avenue uh, Baptist Church. You can find us there. Uh, you can also find us on our YouTube channel, Vermont Avenue Baptist Church, Washington D.C. Uh, and on our website, www.vabc.n, no, no, vabcnwdc.org um, is where we are. And uh, we're, we're trying, we're really trying to continue to do the work of bringing people together um, to show that we're interested in uh, human beings getting connected to Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's a full-time job, but it's a lot of fun when you know that Jesus is with you. Yeah, that's that's right. good. That's good. I love it. I love it. Well, again, Pastor Cox, thank you very much uh, for, for joining us. And, and for our listeners, thank you for joining in on the Recon Combo. Uh, remember, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter under the Recon Combo. Um, you can also stay connected with us through our website, reconciliationconversation.com, or feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel under No More Night Media. Alongside my friend, Jason Dukes, my name is Derek Delane. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.